This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. The biggest misunderstanding of the Rondo is that it's been perceived as just circle keep away where you have some number of players on the perimeter and some defenders in the middle, the classic circle keep away warmup. That's what most coaches think a Rondo is. And as you will hear us say in today's episode, Rondos, especially foundational Rondos are typically misunderstood here in America. What people seem to not understand is that there are 15, 20, 30 different variations of a Rondo, all with varying geometries, position specific, different responsibilities, all kinds of restrictions to bring up particular foundational lessons, plus more. As Johan Cruyff once said, everything that goes on in a match, except for shooting, you can do in a rondo. The competitive aspect, fighting to make space, what to do when in possession and what to do when you haven't got the ball, how to play one-touch soccer, how to counteract the tight marking and how to win the ball back. Yeah, there's a lot you can do in a rondo. So this conversation that I had with Gary in this episode stemmed from a question that was submitted to us on Twitter about rondos, specifically the way that we use the 4v1 rondo with our teams. So in order to orientate everyone and get you in the right frame of mind as we head into this discussion, I want to use some information that has been provided by our friends at Soccer America. They wrote an article a number of years ago, and it starts with the definition of a rondo. Here it is. Definition of a rondo, a game where one group of players has the ball while in numerical superiority over another group of players. The basic objective of the group in numerical superiority is to keep possession of the ball while the objective of the group in numerical inferiority is to win the ball back. Well, that seems simple, right? How did it get so confusing? And how did it get so contradictory when people are talking about if rondos are good or bad for training players? The article continued on to say that rondos help develop the following areas, cognitive, technical coordination, team building, creativity and expression, competitiveness, and physical conditioning. After a short message about our coaching program, we will begin our talk about the 4v1 rondos specifically and some more observations related to rondos in general. So thank you so much for tuning in and we look forward to having you with us for this conversation. When it comes to coaching education, being able to discern what will and won't help you can be a costly and confusing exercise. I know this because I've experienced it myself. It's frustrating. The internet is flooded with so much information. There are thousands of drills out there for you to watch. There are tons of things that you can try with your teams and with your players, but without context and without proper guidance from a legit mentor, you're not going to get the edge that you're looking for or the results that you want. That's what the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program gets right. It's rooted in the real experiences of coaching boys and girls soccer right here in America. As a coach, Brian Kleiben has faced the same issues like training just twice per week, kids missing practice, field congestion, pay to play, you name it. But by using the 343 framework and staying consistent with the methodology, he has been able to overcome the obstacles and produce college level, professional, and international caliber players. 
What the 343 coaching program offers you is unlike anything else in the country because it cannot be replicated. It's not theory or speculation like you'd see in a presentation, and it's not staged and scripted like you'd get at a convention. This program is the work of a master practitioner, his real art, captured and delivered to you in its purest form to help you gain an advantage and become a better coach. The program features videos of Brian mic'd up during actual training sessions with his own players and teams as they prepare for their league games and tournaments. This is the only program in the country that gives you this type of authentic, behind-the-curtain look at player, team, and coach development. So if you're looking for just drills, well, we've got those, but more importantly, we have the mentorship, the proven results, and the community of ambitious coaches that you won't find anywhere else. To experience all of this, consider joining the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. You can find all of the details at 343coaching.com. On Twitter, you got a question that is pretty common. I think we've both seen it before and people have probably seen us engage with people about the question before, but it's it's the question of why do you have players check all the way down to the cone towards the ball in rondos instead of reading where the defenders are and positioning themselves in a position to break lines? And he, he also wrote in that... Um, He's only participated in phase one of our membership, so he's not sure if that changes in later years. And uh, I, I think uh, the explanation you gave him on Twitter explained a little bit about why, but I think there's a little bit further, or we can go a little bit further in exploring that topic. And, and the exercise I should say that he's talking about is the four versus one, uh, four versus one rondo. So, yeah, what are your what are your initial reactions, or what were your initial reactions when you got that? when you got that tweet sent in? There's two things. One is the reaction specific to the exercise in question. And then there's a more general concern regarding entire methodologies and and how coaches view a methodology or don't view a methodology. So the, fir- the first thing is it was in reference, I believe, to the 4v1 uh, rondo. So the 4v1, basically, as we run it, Imagine a square that is established by four cones at each corner of the square. And the square has sides measuring roughly seven meters by seven meters or eight meters by eight meters. Uh, For us Americans, we like to use yards, not exactly a meter, but, you know, so you get an idea. And the size of that square can be manipulated uh, to be bigger or smaller, depending on the level of your player. The smaller the square, the higher the level uh, of the players involved should be. If the play- level of the player is not very high uh, and is quite poor, they're just starting out, then you need to make the square probably a little bit bigger. So you have that sort of geometry. And then on each side of the square, you have a player. Um, and then inside the square, you have a defensive player that is going to be trying to take the ball away from the the perimeter players. So what this gentleman is referencing is imagine one of the players on the side is in possession of the ball. What the two adjacent square-sided players are supposed to do is make themselves available for a pass by running to the cone that is right next to the player in possession. Now, 
that may seem a little bit odd in many cases because in a real game, you probably don't run t- in, in, in that sort of way to make yourself available or open. Um, some scenarios, yes, but many scenarios, no. Uh, it wouldn't be the right decision. But I think what we're trying to teach in this rondo uh, here with our methodology and in the methodology in many places in Europe at the foundational level is lesson number one is moving off the ball. Okay. So when somebody's in possession, you just don't stand where you're currently at. So that is the key lesson to be learned. Now, what the gentleman was asking is like, hey, why run to the cone? That seems a little bit odd when you should probably be teaching the player not to do that and instead position themselves in such a way that they are, you know, if they were to receive a pass, they can break lines and and go in the other direction. Here's the key to everything. Yes, that's a good lesson to learn about breaking lines and, and finding alternative uh, windows for a pass, but that is a more advanced topic beyond just movement off the ball. If if the players don't understand or don't have movement off the ball ingrained in their mind to a satisfactory level or to a yeah, you can't move on to something a little bit more complex. Yeah, there's there's layers to how you get to a point where where you get to breaking lines, and a lot of times coaches will try to get get to that point too fast. I was going to say a little bit too fast, but just too fast is, is the speed that a lot of coaches go. And you see videos online of coaches, they post their training sessions and, and whatnot. And, and it'll be a four versus one rondo. A lot of times I, I see this and, and the players so often are just standing still. And so to me, when I see something like that, it really solidifies the fact that that they need to have that fundamental aspect ingrained in them further, which is you know some type of movement, and and the way that that's been solved in in what you've described is you know the movement is you can make it automatic because it's always the same thing, but it's moving between your cones or to your cone, and. Personally, I've had a lot of success with that with with my teams coaching. We've coached boys as young as seven and eight years old, and then I've coached uh, you know high school age girls, and I've also coached college age men, and and it's worked at all of those levels with you know ingraining in, ingraining movement. And if you try to advance too fast from from those things, then you get you get the players kind of. they get lost and and sometimes they end up just standing still right it's it's not breaking lines and finding space in a more complex way is not fundamental you know it's 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 critically important at the higher levels of the game and it's definitely an important thing that a player must get to learn and understand uh but if they don't have the fundamentals what is fundamental is moving off the ball, right? If they don't have that under their belt to a, a certain degree and you're already trying to move on, like as you said, to something else, then the player is is basically losing uh, a key foundation uh, to their game. Insofar as how long you should be doing the fundamentals before you move on, I think that's a judgment call. But like you said, John, most people in my experience move on way too quickly to be quite candid here, I think you shouldn't be moving on for 
for years, uh, especially if you're talking about youth players. If you're talking about 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, you should be doing this sort of fundamental foundational exercise religiously every session and not moving on. At least in this exercise, there are other rondos that we can dive into perhaps in another episode or maybe later here that does teach some of those other principles of play that are more complex, but not in this exercise. Keep this exercise uh, a foundational one. Rondos just in in general tend to be misunderstood and, and a lot of times misused. And that I think plays into this idea that, you know, you should be teaching something like breaking lines to players, uh, you know, at a very early stage or, or, you know, very quickly. And, and when I say misunderstood, it's that, you know, the hammering home of the fundamentals, things like movement off the ball, things like receiving the ball across the body, things like how you hit a pass to your teammate. Those things are those things are fundamental. And when people say, oh, yeah, you know, rondos aren't game like or rondos aren't this or, you know, you can't use rondos in, in, in real games. You know, that's where I my brain goes to these people really don't understand what this is for and what this is doing for their players. I don't know how you feel about that. Correct. It's exactly right. It, this In this one exercise in particular, you listed out so many of the fundamentals that are being trained. Receiving across the body, learning to properly receive the ball with your first touch such that your second touch when you move on or you, you deliver the pass to, to the next person is correct. And then that pass to the next person is at the right uh, weight and speed. So the next person you know, has a good chance of his first touch being good so that the exercise continues, right? So all of these things are fundamental to the game and absolutely are applicable to the game. Just because in the game situation, you don't usually have four players in an eight by eight grid and they're doing this circle keep away thing doesn't mean anything, right? We're trying to train technique here and we're trying to uh, train uh, technique in so far as first touch and then your pass. And then on top of that, movement off the ball. This exercise is so foundational, so fundamental to move on to more complex stuff that to try to incorporate breaking of lines or finding alternative passing lanes or using one touch instead of two touch, John, because, I mean, that's more advanced as well. We just need to chill out. We need to chill out and coaches need to understand that they need to master something before they can graduate themselves and graduate players elsewhere, which brings me to the point of why it's so seductive and for coaches to move on so quickly. Because when you hear others talking about, oh, breaking lines, our players in America need to learn how to break lines, or they don't know how to find time and space for themselves very well. These are all like facts. These are all true. But the problem is, again, it's a common pitfall that coaches fall into where they see these true statements and then they look at an exercise like the 4v1 restricted rondo and they're like oh yeah like this doesn't teach those other things that our american players are lacking so it's a bad exercise no it's not a bad exercise it's simply a foundational one the way that you just described it and the coaches being you know seeing something else and being seduced into um, either accelerating to the next exercise too fast or what is what is actually becoming more and more commonplace is writing off of these types of exercises altogether. And there's people that have created entire campaigns around, um, you know, 
trashing an exercise like like a rondo like you know there's no place for this in in training which is it, it blows my mind that that can even be a stance but it is uh to the point where you know that that way of thinking got injected into u.s soccer coaching courses so you know this this way of, of thinking that you know rondo's are are meaningless or not not productive or they they don't have a place in in training is um yeah it's incredibly detrimental to our to our country i think and and it it goes hand in hand with the the things that you were just speaking about yeah and i think you know for for coaches who really want to get great at their craft you need good information good resources and and a good mentor, whether that's a live mentor or a digital one. And I keep coming back to this, and people really don't like when we say it, John, but it's just a reality. And if I don't say it now, I'm actually doing a disservice to the coaching community who, who are interested in learning. Do your homework on who you're learning from. So if people are recommending, uh, rondos are useless, or this rondo is useless, or look, you should be teaching breaking of lines and getting into space and not what these people are doing – you should do your research and homework. Has this person or has this organization done anything of remark or anything of note uh, themselves, right, to be uh, positioning themselves as a teacher? And how do you go ahead and do that? Well, you should investigate whether they have an extensive video library of their actual teams playing football at an actual appreciable level and consistently demonstrating something that is remarkable okay if they don't have that video evidence of their own teams performing remarkably then really be very careful who you're listening to you know anybody can crack open a book or anybody can uh do google searches on the internet and then compile information that makes sense to them and then uh package it in such a way that that uh it is persuasive and and you know it tries to uplift themselves as a coach, but they're probably not a great resource to learn from. So I really feel obligated to say that and not to, to push our materials at all. If people do homework on us, I rarely promote our products. And that's, and that's just the fact it's, if we want to improve soccer in our country, we need teachers who actually know what they're talking about. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know how you're how you're going to respond, but why why is something like show show your work such a contentious question? People get really worked up when you when you ask them, "Hey, like, you know, can I see your team doing these things?" And people sometimes explode on on uh, either social media or even in person, too. I mean, my first reaction is hey, they're mad because they don't have any anything to show for it, right? They they have nothing of remark, nothing of note. Um, their teams are, probably don't perform um, very well and certainly not in a remarkable sense. Uh, and so you're basically blowing up their entire their entire stick right there immediately with that one phrase of showing your work, um, which is quite strange because in any other profession, it seems quite acceptable, you know, because that is what basically qualifies you to speak on a particular topic to a certain extent with authority anyways i mean everybody can have an opinion on any topic uh we have opinions on politics medicine healthcare, things that we're not expert in but 
you know, we don't necessarily claim ourselves to be an expert doctor uh, or an expert lawyer or an expert rocket scientist. The first thing somebody would tell me if I claim to be so is, hey, where are your degrees? Okay. And secondly, how long have you been practicing? And thirdly, you know, maybe show me your some sort of track record uh, associated with with what you're claiming. And we're so sensitive in soccer coaching circles here in the U.S. It's astonishing if you say, hey, hey, buddy, look, you're claiming all these things. Where's your workout? Show it to me. I mean, that's my reaction. And, and last year, well, man, two years ago when I went through the U.S. soccer C course, you and I kind of talked about this privately but it's about the guys that are guys and girls that are teaching these courses. They're teaching something that U.S. Soccer has uh, adopted and decided. You know, here's what we're going to teach as a nation. But you know, these coaches, these instructors that are leading classrooms full of coaches, are not necessarily one well versed in in what they're teaching. And number two, they d- they certainly don't have uh, you know any any history with you know coaching this way because these are newly adopted techniques of how U.S. soccer wanted things to be done. So they switched from one year to the next and everything got flipped on its head. So how can you expect the, you know, these instructors to be experts in, in what they are now teaching? It was something we talked about privately. I don't know if you remember that conversation or if, if it drums up any, any thoughts. I do. I vaguely remember it, but I know what you're talking about. It's, it's basically, hey, guys, imagine I'm the organization, right, U.S. soccer, and I've hired some instructors. Uh, you're basically hiring some somebody to regurgitate uh, somebody else's plan or somebody else's methodology that they themselves may not have executed uh, to any at all, maybe, or, or to any appreciable level. So you're basically getting somebody who's just up there reading off a PowerPoint presentation that was given to them by somebody else, or, or they may have created the PowerPoint presentation themselves and materials themselves, but based on somebody else's methodology, which is absolutely bananas to me you're teaching a subject that you you know nothing about and that's wild that that's 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 not education as far as i'm concerned that's not a real teacher as 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 coaches ourselves we can only in my opinion we can only teach what we know what we have experience in so if you don't have experience in something then you really shouldn't be in front of any type of a group uh you know leading uh, an educational experience, whether that's actually on the field or especially in a classroom. And I don't, I don't want that to sound demeaning to, to coaches at all, but that's kind of how I, I left the USSF C course where I was like, yeah, like it didn't seem like these guys had much experience with, you know, actually teaching this stuff. And it got to the point where, uh, somebody knew that I was in that course and they asked me, Hey, who was your instructor? And they sent me a video of my instructor's team playing. And it was the complete opposite of what I expected after, you know, listening to this guy talk for, for 10 days in, in a course. It was, you know, what, what we learned in the course was completely different than what his team actually displayed in, I think, a, a, a college playoff game. So just night and day different. And it was really, really strange, but then solidified again, like kind of how I felt that I I wasn't going to get, and I shouldn't expect to get that type of education from U.S. soccer. That's not where that's not where I'm actually going to do the bulk of my my growing and learning as a coach. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. This sort of practice that is done 
regarding coaching education creates a it seems to create a culture in our country that this is just how it is and then it bleeds into all of our uh, coaching education whether it be u.s soccers or another organization or individuals even everybody gets this idea that you don't have to be very knowledgeable or, or very expert level or experienced in what you're teaching that you can just kind of copy and paste ideas that resonate with you, you know, from other sources and, and then deliver that and call it education. And that's what we're seeing online a lot of. And that's what I think prompted uh, this gentleman's question to me on Twitter uh, because he was exposed to somebody trying to teach um, X, Y, or Z, you know, which kind of went against what we were teaching john and i had to clarify that for them they're also i I don't know if if you would feel comfortable talking about this but one thing i've noticed over the years is there seems to be a little bit of contention towards the people that made rondos famous which probably most most famously spain and, and barcelona a little bit of contention towards those those teams and, and people wanting to, you know, say nope, like I, I don't believe in the way that those teams play, or I don't, I don't like those teams, so I'm gonna n- never going to uh, incorporate their training methods into into mine. I don't know if you ever got a hint of of that feeling. No, of course, since the very beginning, you know, and since even before, this stems from before the popularization of of the exercise or the methodology, and and this is a touchy subject, but. In my opinion, it is deeply rooted in discrimination. It is deeply rooted in an anti-Latino uh, bent, whether people like to believe that or not. In our country, the dominant culture, the one that controls soccer in our country, uh, is not from that demographic. They are from the Anglo uh, white suburban demographic, and they take most of their cues throughout history from England. Um, and in England, you know, the culture there has always been, uh, very parochial and also anti-Latino to, to a, a certain degree. And it's always been more of a run and gun, uh, always directional long ball route one, uh, getting stuck in, putting the ball in, in the mixer and headers and set pieces and all of that, that has been their way of football. It has never been really a terrestrial on the ground, short passes, quick passes, uh, 30 touch sequences that never end up going forward. That's not their cup of tea. And that is a foreign thing to them, foreign in the, in the bad sort of way, right? The xenophobic sort of way. And since we get our cues from England and from the UK mostly, it has bled into our culture. Uh, and I think that is perhaps a very significant reason why there has been an anti-Rondo backlash. And I'm sure that, like you like you hinted at earlier, there are other things that that we believe, exercises that we believe are very, are very, very good and useful for coaches and for players. Um yeah, you said earlier that we can get to those in, in other episodes. So hopefully we can you know do this again 
on another topic that we believe strongly about, you know, training exercises, maybe like, you know, pattern play, you know, that, that tends to get a lot of people really heated and fired up, uh, unopposed versus opposed, those types of things. And, um, and yet topics like building out of the back and things like that. So I, don't, I think that those are all widely misunderstood topics, building out of the back being one of those. You know what does that what does that mean to one person? It means something completely different to another person, and and then you have you know groups of players getting completely different educations about what that what that really means. Yeah, and so here we are in the United States, not developing great players at scale. So, anyways, yeah, you're right. It's all the whole thing is misunderstood, and and it stems again from uh, poor education and and poor poor teachers who are teaching other coaches and i feel bad for the coaches who are really interested in learning and and honing their craft or getting great at, at the craft of coaching when they're listening for information coming from somebody who's never who's never really accomplished anything but you know i'll leave it there yeah and spending thousands of dollars to learn from these people yeah it's 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 insanity man <laughs> uh Anything else that you think people need to know about what we covered today, either specifically about the 4v1 or just just some, maybe something more general? Please follow up with us. We're an open book. We'll, we'll share everything everything and anything that you like. You know, So email me or, or, or John or hit us up on Twitter with any of your questions or DM us if, if, you know, if you're a little bit sensitive about being out in public, which I can appreciate. Um, but yeah, we're here for you. So that's it. That's all I got, John. Our flagship program helps coaches and trainers discern what is good for their teams and for their players. But now we've created a program for parents because parents, you are personal trainers too. Yep, that's right. And in order to properly mentor your player, you need to know what's good and what's not. Just like coaches, you and your player are flooded with thousands of training videos on YouTube and Instagram, but most of them are a waste of time because they aren't relevant. They don't translate to the real game and figuring out what does and what doesn't and why is just flat out difficult, especially if you don't have a background in soccer to lean on. So we've taken Brian Kleiben's more than 20 years of experience working with teams and individual players from U9 to U19 and extracted valuable lessons that can help you navigate the minefield that is American youth soccer. But this isn't just about drills. That's only a small fraction of it. And to be honest, you can get drills anywhere. What you're getting with the 343 Masterclass are the cultural lessons and an education in philosophy that other trainers and courses don't offer. It's these elements that can help you understand the landscape, read the game on and off the field, and translate everything into real development for your player. Right now, you can get on the list for the 343 Masterclass. We are currently rolling it out little by little to small groups. To reserve your spot, go to 343masterclass.com. All right. Thank you for listening. Do you have a question about the topic that we covered in this episode? 
If so, we'd love to hear from you and we will be answering some of your questions at the end of next week's episode. Submit your questions on Twitter or head to 343coaching.com to leave your question in the comment section. Make sure that you are subscribed to 343FM on your favorite podcasting app. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more platforms. And if you're feeling super generous, we'd love it if you dropped us a five-star rating or a review. And don't forget that you can find our entire library of podcast episodes, over 200 written articles, and our online courses that help accelerate the development of coaches and players using methods that have been proven to work here in the United States. Once again, all of that can be found at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast.